0: All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. My name is Mark Champagne and I'm your host. It's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. And today we are jamming with Devin Brooks, who defined a whole new market category. Co-founding Blow, the world's first and largest franchise chain of blow-dry bars. The company now spans four countries with 130 plus locations and has collaborated with international mega brands like Mattel, Guest, Topshop, and Gwyneth Paltrow. True to her knack for shaking up industries... Devin is now growing her second venture, Sphere, a full-service marketplace platform designed to make personal and professional coaching more accessible with a gym-like membership experience for indi- individuals and teams. And she's just a flat-out awesome, hu- awesome human, so I can't wait to have you, Devin, welcome.
1: <laughs> Hello. I I didn't even ask you yet if like did you rebrand yourself to Champagne as your last name? Or was I that did like not, your real I, last name? <laughs>
0: thankfully, the two things that are very real about me are my last name and my gray hair. <laughs> None of that's well, fake. Well,
1: I have a friend who's um, changed her name to Austin Love Austin. And I just thought it was like, her oh, first wow. name is the same as her last name and her middle name okay. is Love, which I just thought was like the best and coolest. And it woke me up to people, um, you know, renaming themselves. And my daughter Clooney, the other day, she asked me, if when she's older, she could call herself Devinista.
0: <laughs> Devinista, I love that. <laughs> she is a star. That's for sure. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> no champagne is, uh, is it's, that's the family name. So thank you though. I mean, I do, I do like it and I do like that it's spelled same as the bubbly. It makes it easy, uh, to get that across and, and so forth. So before we, before you jump in to your work and all of the great things that you're up to, I just love to know, you know, like titles aside and all the backstory side, like, who are you? Like, what's, you know, who's the Devin in front of us right now?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, I, I think that actually this sort of way of, of, thinking about myself is probably the most natural to me because when i reflect on you know what i've what i do for a living or what i've created um the older i get and the more experience i get the more i realize like actually none of that has anything to do with my identity um, mm. and so i really I, I think about this the sort of as the more um everyday way of thinking about myself and it's really a uh, a part of community i think that i'm a part of community and i think i'm a person who cares deeply about integrity and love and um prioritizes those things above all else and that that often shows up in what it is that i want to create I think that it shows up in how I parent my two children, Clooney, who's six, and Rosen, who's eight. And I hope that, you know, everyone I hold near and dear to me would echo the same thing.
0: What a beautiful response. I'm I'm curious, like what helped you along the way to, I guess, separate your identity from the things that you do, or the business, or the titles, and and all of that, because that's not an easy thing to do. It's really, even even when I ask this question, I've asked this question to probably nearly 300 people now. Is it's a, it's the same opening prompt for for every episode, and there's a lot that a lot of people that you know I have to push them again. I'm like, no, uh, you're not just a writer. You know, like what what right. else? Like who are you, right? So it's not an easy right. question.
1: Right, right. Yeah. What got me here? Um, well, I think that this is sort of part of the gift of having really hard shit happen to you is, um, there, there is this, um, amazing doctor called Bruce Lipton and he wrote a book called the biology of belief. And Mm. He has a whole um, kind of group of rad scientific cronies around him and they all, they all study really um, some of the fields of greatest fields of interest to me. And so this idea of like, that it's actually our beliefs that shape our lives the most. So it matters more what we believe than actually how things are. So how we perceive things to be matters more than how things actually are in terms of, um, how that reverberates in our bodies, how that changes our biology and our DNA, like our DNA responds to what we believe more than it responds to our actual environment, what's actually happening. Um, and so, yeah, I think a few really hard things happening in my life and really, understanding um on the other side of those hard things each time right because it's like I learn more each time I go through something else hard I learn the same thing in a even more refined and sort of complex and nuanced way and so yeah I think hard things taught me that being faced with hard things taught me that and there's this um another doctor who has uh, and scientists who has really spent his entire career uh, studying people who've had near-death experiences and Mm. they, they will all tell you every study, thousands and thousands and thousands of studies will tell you that people who have either had a a near-death experience thought they were going to die or did in fact present as dead for seconds or minutes and then returned to breath or heartbeat or consciousness all have the same like they see life um not forward the way we've seen it but they see it like again backwards but through almost like a third perspective so not as themselves not even as the person the other people who were there but as love and compassion for for everybody involved in every memory so yes hard hard things i think keep teaching me this
0: well, when, and in the, I mean, there's so much in terms of what you said that resonates and it's something I've, I've thought a lot about, you know, just like we're, we're, we're born into belief systems typically, you know, and then our, with our parents and like what's, what's around us. And, uh, I mean, depending on your environment, obviously, uh, a lot of those stay with you for the rest of your life or you kind of edit as you go based on how you're evolving and so forth. So, I'm curious, just knowing a bit about you, and, and from our first conversation, you know, I know that you you were brought up in an environment where I, I can't remember. I wrote this down from our last conversation. I think it was something to the line, uh, to the extent of like your mom was always your coach in, in a way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And so I'm curious, like, have you ever gone through that exercise, like a journaling flow of just like taking a look and zooming out, and like these are like my, my fundamental beliefs and are they still in check and so forth?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I started doing that as a sort of regular practice. Um, and I won't say regular, like every week or every month or even every year, but every time I'm going through a period of transition, really, since I'm probably about 18, this is a practice for me. Um, and, and, Absolutely. It was so much, um, born and organic practice born from just the way that I was like cultured and nurtured, um, particularly by my mom in our relationship with her as my parent and caregiver and ultimate coach and guide, my first coaching guide. And, um, and yeah, really started doing that as a practice around 18, um, and have continued to do that every time I hit a, a critical juncture, uh, where you know that's that thought of like, oh, what got me to where I am isn't going to get me to where I'm going next, or will it? <laughs> and mm. what might need to shift? And what's what's alive in me right now? Um, what's still true? You know, all those. Oh, what a all good question.
0: Kind of so I imagine in those hard moments, these are some of the the prompts that you're turning to just to kind of mm-hmm. zoom out, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, why don't we back up a little bit and just just for the audience, um, you know, just just give us a, a, a quick summary of of, of your backstory uh, leading up to where you're at with with your businesses and so forth, and like how it all began. <laughs>
1: um, what, whenever I think about this, I think about like you know, when you hear, um, a recording in like warp speed and it's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's how I imagine we have to talk to like really get across. Yeah. And then we open the second
0: location and then, right. And here we are.
1: And, um, so yeah, I, gosh, I, well, I, I was raised primarily by my mom as a young child until I was about six or seven, and then I inherited this amazing dad, stepdad, Dennis, and the two of them were really my, um, yeah, m- my biggest influence. And um, I uh, through my formative years, which was you know such a gift. They have very very different qualities, um, and uh, I hope that I've taken you know, those, all the, all the the best things about them and know that I definitely have pulled through, um, my, my own quirks. Um, (laughs) and really was cultivated by the two of them and nurtured by the two of them who are both extremely entrepreneurial. And you know, my mom had started her first companies when I was uh, about that age. And, um, Prior to me inheriting Dennis, my stepdad, it was really just her and I, like road dogs. Uh, she would take me everywhere to every business meeting and I would like be in my Doc Martens and my little tutu um, Love it. by her side, her little sidekick. And I just thought it was like the greatest joy and the coolest thing to be able to rock into her meetings with her. I remember she was... Um, I think it was in her very first company, Body Logic. Health management, so it was like risk injury prevention, going into companies, and I think I, I think if my memory serves me correct, they go into different companies um, and sort of teach uh, measures of like healthy movement that would like lower risk injury prevention, which also helped their okay. insurance. So that was her very first company at like I don't know in her late twenties, and. Um, and I was rocking to her, you know, to every meeting with her. And I remember going to one near Seattle and the guy she was working with, who was so cool, worked with the basketball team there. And so one of the meetings I got to like sit on the cutting room floor of all the ball players, like doing their stretches. It was just like me and all the like rad dudes being rad, throwing a <laughs> rock around on the court and uh, my mom and her meeting. And I just remember being like, wow, this is so cool and uh yeah they were all some version of that some version of inspiring and cool i just felt lucky to be along for the ride and then she grew another company in my teens um i i was born and raised in bc through this time and then um i had the incredible fortune of going on a ship called class afloat when i was uh, in my final year of high school well my my 15, my fifteenth year became my final year of high school, which was ironic because to think that I graduated early after getting mostly D's and C minuses, my entire academic childhood <laughs> career was, was hilarious. And then I sailed around well, the world God. on this tall ship, which I feel like is still one of like the key and critical material um, influences for me. That you know, when I was fifteen, I lived on 182 foot Barkentine and we went to 36 countries in one year and homesteaded in almost every place. Because what that did for me was it seeded this understanding, a deep, deep and vast understanding of just like the breadth of the world and the breadth of experiences, the breadth of humanity, the many different ways of, of living, Mm. interpreting life. And, and, um, and that is still something that impacts me today. And uh, yeah, my mom and I, from about that age, we started throwing around business ideas, and we knew we wanted to do something together through my late teens. And we had a couple of you know uh, hilarious ideas that we didn't pull the trigger on. And then I went to university at the London College of Fashion in England, and uh, we were on the phone. She was in the process of selling her second business. She went to this event for businesswomen, and uh, we were laughing on a call that, like, the hundred most powerful businesswomen in Canada had, had, like, super shitty hair. <laughs> like, you know, my mom was like, The hundred most powerful women in Canada look like shit. I was like, Why, mom? And we just had, you know, a cheeky laugh about it. But what we realized was it was just because it was completely, you know, um, Unavailable to them, even though that that particular group of women maybe had the funds to spend the astronomical amount that blow dries used to be. It took too long, and it was inconsistent, and it wasn't um, a service that was you know seamless and had been leveraged for the consumer. So I thought, oh gosh, you know I'm in this this course in my second year of uni. I'm going to write this business plan, and two weeks later I submitted it, and six months later we opened our first location, and that's really. When at sort of 20, 21 years old, I was sort of catapulted into leadership and started really understanding just the value of how I was raised and um, this style of communication, this tool coaching that I had been raised Mm -hmm. with. Um, And we started to see that really take shape in our business and influence the culture of that business. And then, of course, when I sold it, um, I became a coach and followed my mom's footsteps.
0: Incredible. Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So, with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at behindthehuman.com slash newsletter which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's behindthehuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. I mean, it's just it's interesting because it, most people, at least that I've interviewed, uh, when they're starting their first business, you know, it's such um, typically they're starting the business it, like there's there are these big moments of fear, you know, of mm-hmm. like oh like I could do I leave the, the this is one case right do I leave the corporate mm-hmm. job which was my situation mm-hmm. and like pursue this and whatnot but like it just seems let's say that there wasn't any fear obviously but it just seems like. You had such a foundation built, just, you know, going to those meetings with your mom and like just being around this like entrepreneurial vibe that it was just like, well, yeah, obviously we're going to, yeah, like we're going to start this, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. There was no question, like no hesitation, no question, no, um, no fear. Uh, and it was just absolutely like what we did in our family. Yeah.
0: So how like I mean there's there, speaking of the, the the quick fast forward uh, before <laughs> before we get into a sphere um, like just some of the highs and lows of of uh, blow like how did you manage some of those things and you don't have, you can give as many de- details as as you'd yeah. like but just in those moments where they were you know situations that you hadn't faced before and you're like mm-hmm. oh shit like this is this is some challenging oh God, stuff
1: like a plethora <laughs> i mean there was no fear getting started then you get in you're like holy like, what, <laughs> yeah. what is going on like i am really in the trenches like shit is on fire um yeah absolutely so many things even now i mean all the time um uh, some of the first things that were challenging uh, i mean <laughs> little things like when we first opened our um our location in Yelltown. it was the first of all the blows our our baby blow um in vancouver and just it was something like a few weeks after being open we got broken into and they stole like all of our hardware and max and i just remember my business partner val litwin um because it was my mom and myself and val and he was just like how can this be how could this have happened like like, oh my gosh. And my mom and I were like, well, how? Well, they broke the windows and they walked in and then they took <laughs> they the took fucking our computer. Shit. And he's like, yeah, but it's wrong. And we're like, yeah, it is like it is wrong, but that's how they did it. And I just remember like, his, he was so flabbergasted, like, oh my God, blasphemy. And, um, and then our team boarded up this piece of wood with our front door. And it was like, in pink handwriting all in big in our cursive font. It was like, dear, the thieves who stole our Max," and then blow me with a big exclamation <laughs> mark. And that was just like, so the brand and so us as yeah. founders and just like have a laugh and it can't, it can't all matter. It can't all matter, you know? Mm. And, um, and then, yeah. And then some bigger things for sure. Like, you know, we, had staff who were predominantly between 18 and so sort of mid-late 20s. And for many of our younger staff, it was their very first job, like their first career job. And, and in some cases, first job, job ever. And yeah. so there was so, so much learning and so much, you know, bumpy communication and really a coming of age, you know, from, from teenagehood to adulthood for our staff. And we are the people they're spending the most time with? And um, so it was everything from you know helping people um, through through decisions around you know how they wanted to live their lives to um, navigating really tough conversations when when what became you know what what was first recreational drug use on Saturday nights became noticeably different. And, you know, approaching those conversations with your staff who are young, who, you know, you know, they're not talking to anybody else about these things. So there was um, some really important moments along the way, of course, then dealing with um, and supporting staff through tragedies, the loss of family members or parents or suicides of friends. I mean, those are the things that stand out to me because as a person who cares deeply about others, like those, those are the, the, the moments of great, great privilege as a leader where you are sitting shoulder to shoulder with people at some of their most important, um, moments.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I can see even just what you shared, and I mean, it's full circle to how we open the conversation of of who you are i mean those those values and characteristics are clearly coming out, but I can see the the coaching model you know very brightly in everything you just mentioned there. It's like you're almost running that business without even knowing you're running that business uh in in a way so how did, how did spear you know pop up
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean gosh, I have never paid attention to coaching as an industry until well after I have become a coach myself. And, um, you know, it was just this beautiful craft and tool for supporting people to, um, to look inward and to mm. be, to be, to be and take responsibility for themselves and their experience in the world and to impact it actively, proactively. So I I was so in love with like what it can do for people and that I just sort of, you know, followed it. And the next thing you know, I'm years into my coaching practice and it wasn't until that point uh, after I had my two kids where I started to to look around at other at the community at other coaches and realize that there were actually a bunch of challenges, dare I say, problems with the industry. Um, it was, you know, homogenous in that a lot of the language and um around coaching and around well-being was actually quite exclusive and homogeneity is is dangerous that way because when too when too much looks and sounds the same it starts to not include like the other or possibilities yeah. or you know the unknown yeah. and And you know, I really started to see um, both with my own two eyes and also statistically just how like white and how um, privileged the space really was, how exclusionary it was that it was existing predominantly at executive leadership levels inside of companies. Um, And it was really a tragedy to me because I'm like, wow, this shit works. Like, we now have Ivy League schools who've run you know decades long studies to show and demonstrate the efficacy of coaching and we actually know it achieves different results net net new results than therapy or counseling mm-hmm. and it it influences social intelligence it influences emotional intelligence and oh shit like these are the things that you will need to not just survive as a human being, but to to thrive as a human being, right, and, yeah. Oh gosh, like it influences well-being.
0: Well, it, it, isn't it crazy though, Devin? Like, I mean, we're so accustomed and used to coaches in any athletic kind of pursuit that it's like that's the norm. But then you you take like the biggest game of of all, which is our our lives, and <laughs> it's like oh, just like freestyle that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Unless yeah, you yeah. hit this you massive go.
0: wall, then all of a sudden you go into yeah. the you know uh, then it then it becomes important. But it's it's crazy yeah. to me. Sorry to to, to cut you off, um, but I, I couldn't help it. No, but,
1: no, you're t- you're totally spot on, and it, it is it is ludicrous, and it's ludicrous that somehow, you know, the the hardest thing that you're gonna do, which is not your job, by the fucking way, the hardest thing you're gonna yeah. do is be a human. It's like it's communicate, it's love, it's walk the walk, it's be in integrity. Like that's the hardest thing you're going to do. And then, you know, that applies to so many different facets, you know, thy neighbor in, in the household, in the family, parenting, like you name it and being a human is the hardest part of work, not work.
0: Like it's it's
1: navigating feelings and navigating communication and, and like understanding the difference between like feeling and fact and that not all feelings are facts, you know, all this, all this stuff that we then sort of venture into this, this journey of humanity thinking that the only time that we're supposed to, you know, use resources is when something is broken. Or as you say, we've hit a wall or there's now a problem that needs to be fixed rather than the same way we approach, you know, building our muscles, going to the gym, fitness, like every greatest athlete that has ever walked the planet will only tell you all about all the resources and coaches for for every Mm -hmm. nuance (laughs) across the board that they've had. And, and yet like we're surprised that this works when, when it relates to you know just daily life, and it does. And so I was looking out at all these um, studies and 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 you know bodies of work produced by Ivy League schools, and going like, oh wow, how beautiful that we have these efficacy reports. Now we can point to the science of coaching in a way that we've not been able to before, and in a way that's not exclusive to you know what it what it takes to be an executive but actually like cognitive function optimism creativity like these are all things that are directly impacted by coaching as a practice mm, and at all levels and at all levels at all levels like really really it should start as early as like high school like as mm, pu- pu- when you are pubescent you should start Working with a coach, you should not just have, you know, the one counselor at school supporting a thousand children, but there should be coaches available. There should be coaches available at a university level. There should like at every level. Once you're pubescent, like that, there there the starts to be a lot more to navigate. And what a fucking society we would live in if we weren't having to undo a bunch of programming, no kidding. you know, in adulthood, <laughs> what an extraordinary There's utopia. A concept, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, I really was looking out at this space and just thought, wow, this is too expensive to scale. It's too exclusive to be inviting to the the breadth of people that it deserves to be in the hands of. And it's a fucking chunky experience to find a great coach. Like You have to know somebody who's worked Mm -hmm. with somebody that is also the person that you need and will resonate with, which almost never happens. So it has to either work by referral or you take to the internet, which for things like this is a very scary place when you just put put some keywords into Google and see what comes up. Or Instagram is even worse and um i just thought oh gosh like if i could if i could curate like a beautiful and rich medley of specializations and coaching frameworks and uh, and people in an ecosystem uh and facilitate best matches for people? Could I make it just so much more like fast, easy, fun to get started with coaching? And then can I challenge the price of coaching? And I interviewed all these coaches and I realized that like, oh shit, even the best coaches don't really realize they're becoming solopreneurs and then they get lonely and then they want to be a part of something bigger. And, you know, they don't want to be running their social media accounts and they actually don't get as much business as you would think from from spending a an insane amount of time on social media promotion and building their newsletter email lists and building their website and offerings like wow what if i could give them all that time and money back then challenge the price of coaching and and just match them with like best fit clients with like ease where they're just it's a plug and play for rad coaches we want to show up and do the good work. And what I realized and learned in all those conversations was that yes, there was a world of coaches, especially the emergent coach. Like I would say that there is an interesting ego attachment, um, dare I say, um, for sort of many coaches who sort of came out of like the '90s and early 2000s. Um, they're 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 very much like. a a different breed of coach and the emergent coach and our bread and butter coach is actually somebody who um, this isn't their only thing that they do. Coaching is one of the expressions of um, how they want to have an impact in the world. And that is, that is our bread and butter guide at Sphere. And they are the ones who constantly perform the best, give the best experience are the most highly rated and actually can handle like the widest um spectrum of individuals and serve them with like incredible integrity and and powerfully
0: well, I imagine there's something to do with just you know having different experience and 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 what like even on my like on my side, just thinking of the the people that I'm working with, it's like I can't ever imagine myself just being like full time on one project because like the other projects or initiatives like then fuel the creativity and the learning and development that like just support you know everything within the ecosystem essentially mm-hmm. so that i'm working and mm-hmm. so i imagine there's there's got to be some of that 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 carries over that mentality carrying over with uh coaches that uh are living and working um like a hyphenated kind of work setup, right? Like I do this slash this, slash this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. The slashers. Totally. It's the future. It's a hundred percent the future market. It's not only the future just because of what's needed in humanity and and the beautiful um a reference you made around them them all feeding each other, like all these different expressions of our interests and our desires and our passions, but also that the economy is such that That when you have multiple sources of income, you are much more agile and flexible. You're not existing in that scarcity mindset of like, everything's about the dollar. And um, it's very much the future. I mean, by 2027, freelancers, the freelancing population will overtake the traditionally employed workforce in the Western world. Wow. Overtake, period. Like that's fucking...
0: That's crazy. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So Devin, how do you, I mean, first of all, congratulations and thank you for putting this work out there in the platform. And it's just, it's a beautiful, I encourage everyone listening to download the app and, and jump in. Having been in the app space and you know diving into probably every uh, health related app out there, mm-hmm. I mean the flow is beautiful. The onboarding is mm-hmm. is is so seamless, and just the touch points are like perfectly uh, injected in the right spot. So uh, you know it's just <laughs>
1: it's always actually high fives. <laughs> so good to hear that because you know how it is as somebody who's built a product or built businesses, yeah. you're always like on to the next. Like fuck, this is like. I can't wait yeah. until this iteration of the next thing, right? So it's so, sure. I love when I hear that feedback because gosh, the team is so proud. Everyone who's touched Sphere is so proud of what we create, And, you know, we often look at each other and we're like, you know, not everybody, not every workplace gets to do say that what they do every day has a net positive impact on humanity and the world. And know that that's unequivocally true. Like what a gift, what a gift. So no, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I, uh, one of the biggest things, like when you sent that email, I, I, I I received it with such love and appreciation and, is that that matching process of like it was really imperative to us that when you're in the sphere experience, you can meet as many guides as it takes before you start spending your credits on sessions, and that's a part of the discovery experience in sphere. and it means that like you don't have to, yeah, be weary of you know which conversations yeah. you have first. you just like get to try before you buy. and I love that.
0: Exactly. Love it. Uh, the the last part that I'd love to, to talk to you about is just, you know, like how you keep your mind healthy and thriving in order to be able to, you know, lead the team and continue to do this this work that, you know, the ripple effect has such a tremendous benefit for so many people. Like what's what are some non-negotiable practices for you in your your daily flow?
1: So this is obviously. The work, right? It's this is the work. It's it's our it's our own practice, and I'm constantly developing my practice. And you know what worked for me um, a decade ago when I was an entrepreneur launching and running Blow Blow Dry Bar, and what works for me now as a single mom of a six and an eight year old with a startup, it's very different. And, and even frankly, what worked for me six months ago is different than what I need now. And yeah. that's always why I've held this like belief so close that we need all the resources, all of them, breath work, meditation, nature, exercise, sleep, coaching, therapy, yoga, embodied movement, like go do all the shit figure out what you love. And then you like, you've built your, you've got your like not only your emergency kit, but you get this like beautiful box to open every day and go, okay, like body, heart, spirit, what do I need today? And that's really what I um what I do and and how I approach my practice. I don't have like specific things that I do every single day no matter what. But what I do do is have a conversation with myself and really honor my body, honor what time is available to me that day for, for, yeah, nurturing and cultivating the self. Because I don't even like self-care, I wouldn't even say is like an appropriate term for this stuff. Um, for me, it's like the required reading of life. Like this is the shit that you just need to keep doing, to keep sharpening the knife so that every day yeah. you are ready, you're ready, you're ready, you're ready. Yeah. And and it's not for the fight of life, it's just a readiness for the next moment. And so you're you're actually able to receive and absorb all that may serve you versus Hit that next moment and be guarded and exhausted and triggered and edgy and, you know, r- really um, extractive and detracting versus like giving and um, receiving. Yeah. So, well, this
0: is like why I resonate with mental fitness because it, yeah, it really. Yeah. You know, it's, it's training essentially for, in my opinion, it's training your mind to work for you instead of against you and bring like what you're saying, increase your self-awareness so you can first see what's happening and then get to the point where, you know, as you mentioned, it's like, I have a, I have a box of tools. Here's the situation. I know this one will help me come out of that survival state, stop the looping narrative and like reframe Mm -hmm. or shift perspective and mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's the whole purpose of the show. And it's not, it's not to get, it's not to prescribe rituals and routines, but really to understand from everyone that comes on, like what works for them so that then people on the other side of myself included, this is how I've, my practice evolves is like, Oh, um, that works. Like I want to try that or I want to integrate mm-hmm. the breath work in, you know, tomorrow mm-hmm. and see how, how that mm-hmm. feels for me, for example. So.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I feel like we jammed on that so hard, like this this idea of mental fitness, and and gosh, like even as you say that, I'm I'm thinking about how in the sphere experience, even the way you can use credits honors that. Like you, some people use it like a vitamin, right? It's like yeah, a, you know, often every day because that's the cadence that they run. That's what serves them, and for other people, um, it is a Um, like an antidote. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. when, when there's like, Oh gosh, I now need this. They'll go do that hour long session, you know, every couple of weeks versus 30 minutes every week. So there's just all these beautiful ways that you can use your credits on sessions that actually suits your own, um, yeah, your own cadence, your own vibration. What's working for you, what else you're doing, like that that stack, you know, for life of all those yeah. things we talked about. And um yeah, I mean, for me, I definitely have some go-to's. Um
0: yeah, what are those? we both Let's have a love them. of
1: mountain biking. <laughs> we yes, we that. do. <laughs> we both have a love of mountain biking, and you know, it's extremely meditative. I I find it um so beneficial for that. And not, it's, it's not meditative for those of us that haven't meditated before. It's not exactly the same. Um, yeah, it's a different type of stillness and, um, but what it is is, is it a quieting of the mind of everything else? So there is no, there are no thoughts entering my mind because if they do, I'm going to miss that stump and I am going to go (laughs) head first in that tree. So there's (laughs) there's such a beautiful quieting of the mind and then like entering of that flow state. And, And my whole body responds. And I'm in this like, this rhythm. I'm like, I am my bike. I, it's just like, not like Devin and yeah. her bike. It's like, we are one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, mountain biking gives me that. Do you feel like you get that from mountain biking?
0: Oh yeah. Well, and like just, you know, and this is more so on the climbs, but just like really being present and noticing like what's around me and like mm-hmm. tapping it, like, especially at West. I mean, like these are some of the, the most magical, like just the smell of riding above the tree line and the crispness of the air. I mean, I could just close my eyes and drop right back into that scene right away. And it's like, those are the moments that for me, at least that, that stay. And, And to your point, like when, and then when you're, you're, you're heading down, I mean, it's basically like kind of all things in life, just, you know, point your bike in the right direction and trust it and look for, look, as far as you can in in advance and just go, you know, and, and be there, be present.
1: Trust. Absolutely. How many times, like, what I do is determined by my level of trust at that moment. Like the, the intense, the intensity of a feature I'll hit will be determined by like the level of trust I have at that moment. And oftentimes it's like in my machine, in myself, my, my machine, meaning my bike, um, yeah. my body, you know, like a quick check-in. Do I feel like I'm like at ease? <laughs> Do I have the mental focus? Am I hired? Or if I'm like, no, 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 girl, you got this. This is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Drop in to that rock ball.
0: Oh, and there's so many parallels to everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like in life and business and all of that, it's like in, in that... To, to just showing up confident. I remember in August when we were out in Revelstoke and we were shuttling up one of the mountains and the way the trail uh, was was positioned, it, it was crossing the road in several, like it was just mm-hmm. switchbacking all the way up. And I remember we're in the truck and we're looking at the exit points of the trail onto the road and we're like, there's no fucking way we're coming out of that trail. Like, it's like, it. just the exit looks terrifying, you know? And I remember we got to the bottom and we all reflected back. We're like, does anyone remember, you know, shuttling up and and completely like kind of, you know, hesitating in the fact like there's no way we're doing this trail and like somehow here we are and like no broken bikes or bones. It's unbelievable, right? Like how you can, you know, just psych yourself out of doing things and then just go for it, right? And and, and oh what's God. possible when you do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that many of us have in common right now, regardless of stage of life, whether you're a parent or caregiver, an entrepreneur or not, however old you are, most of us have spent sometime if not the whole time the last few years just fucking death gripping life like holding yeah. on and death gripping those handlebars because it's been wild scary uncertain full of unknowns and continues to be those things but yeah <laughs> what we know from mountain biking is that like death gripping the bike is not an enjoyable ride. You're (laughs) going to like every bump you are, it's going to be jarring. Every turn is going to be jarring. And you have to have that like light touch on those handles because then you can respond faster. It changes, you know, your vibration on the bike. It's funner. You're lighter on your, yeah. you know, on your feet and, you know, we've got to forgive ourselves and surrender that we have, if not sometimes the whole time, the last few years been death gripping and remember what it feels like to just like, just have a light touch to, to allow things and trust that things can be fun and, 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 that it can't all matter. And in the end, we know yeah. that every time in the end, it's always all right. There's always something that we learn. We're always better for it, whatever it is. And that is really the opportunity. It's like, you know, building building our practices around this beautiful fucking experience so that it can be just the most fun. <sighs>
0: I can't think of a better place to, to wrap up the conversation. I mean, obviously, you and I can go for hours, especially once we hit mountain biking topics and how we just bring that into everything else in the, in the theme of the show, which is awesome. Um, so, I, you know, I have one final question for you, um, just because it's, it's so obvious, like how much impact your, your mom had uh, and continues to have in your life. And like, I'm just curious, like, what do you want to leave behind for your two kids?
1: Oh, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, I, I often think about when I die, how do I want Rosen and Clooney to feel when I die? You know, what, how do I want them to think of me and remember me when I die? You know, What? what is my vision that i hold for you know how that experience is for them M- the experience of my death regardless of how i die yeah like, what is it like for them after and and sort of a beautiful i guess loop back to the beginning of this conversation and and synchronicity in this conversation is that it's all about feelings it's not like the legacy is not the stuff or some amount of money or you know what I've built or it's it's actually all about feelings like every word that comes up is going to be about how I want it to feel for them the memories are about feelings (laughs) you know it's Mm -hmm. not even about a place or a moment in time and and, um, and so, you know, what I want to leave for them are, um, a feeling that is, uh, rich with inspiration and love and ease and laughter. Like, I hope that what I leave for them is this like little spirit ball of energy that they can take with them wherever they are and that they always know is there and that they can call on that is all of those things that is all like the the rich things that we want which is love in our hearts and laughter and joy and um and ease and delight and those are the things that i i want to leave them and i hope that when I die, regardless of how I die, that the experience for them is like every time they think of me, they think of me with like total delight and laughter and love and admiration and inspiration and trust and confidence.
0: Well, I mean, they're first and foremost, so lucky to have you as their their mom. Um, I mean, I'm just smiling ear to ear, just listening to that response and you know i just have to thank you personally as well i mean speaking of feelings i mean i just feel just a full heart of of gratitude that our paths were able to cross and we were able to hold space for each other and have this conversation and i hope there are many more and you know just a bigger thank you for just you showing up as you each day and doing you know putting this work into the world that as i said earlier has such a huge ripple effect you um you really are a bright light in this world and it's, it's been an honor. So thank you.
1: Thank you for having me, Mark. I was so looking forward to this conversation after our first hang together. I kept checking my calendar like, when's my Mark morning? <laughs> <laughs> I'm it. so glad to be here and I look forward to um, a friendship.